welcome back to the Eyes Up Life podcast with me, Ben Grannis. So glad you're here. We are here to talk about and talk with Barry Nobles. But first, if you're new to the Eyes Up Life podcast and to this Eyes Up experience, here's some background for you. Eyes Up began as a 7,000-mile bike ride around the United States to raise awareness for distracted driving to promote digital wellness. I completed this ride by myself over the course of 125 days on the road. I just wrapped it up in September of last year. Immediately after completing the ride, I set out on a road trip to interview 21 athletes, professionals in their field, and sponsored by Maxis Tires. These athletes are incredibly kind people. Maxis Tires is a great organization for supporting this cause, helping make this project happen, and connecting me with these individuals, which you will listen to today. This is the 20th episode in the Eyes Up Maxis series, so make sure you check out all the previous episodes, ranging from news professionals to professional supercross racers. There is something in the series for everyone, and every episode has something that applies to every single person, and I truly believe that because distracted driving affects all of us. We all have phones. We're all susceptible to the distractions and all of the noise that they throw at us. Today, we're speaking with Barry Nobles, and I met Barry in Alabama. Barry is known as the Alabama Slamma. He is one of the best BMX racers of all time and is still competing. He is a father, an awesome person, a BMX racer, and so many other things which he talks about in our conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Barry is an incredibly humble guy. He's out there trying to do his best to inspire the younger generation of BMX riders and be a great father and husband, and it was a pleasure to meet him and He even let me camp in his driveway. So after our interview, I got some dinner. I camped in my friend's truck, which I was driving, and slept in Barry Noble's driveway. Yep. (laughs) We don't really talk about that in the podcast, but that is okay. Hope you enjoy the conversation. Here is Barry Noble's episode 20. We'll talk to you at the end. My name is Barry Nobles. We're in Birmingham, Alabama. Sweet. And how long have you been living here, Barry? Been living here just over three years now. Sweet. And you grew up in this area near here, or what's your what's your ba- your growing up background? I grew up about an hour and a half south in uh, the capital, which is Montgomery. My parents and family are still down there. So when I moved back to Alabama, I knew the bigger city is kind of where I wanted to be. When when you said you moved back, where did you where did you go between childhood and now? Um, in 2009, when my BMX career was kind of uh, really taking off, I moved to Cal- Southern California, moved into the Olympic Training Center, and ended up being there for 10 years, almost to the month, before I uh, decided to leave and come back to Alabama. Sweet. So tell me, walk me through your career. When did it start? How did you get to where you are now? The whole career, man. It's pretty much my whole life. <laughs> um, I started racing BMX when I was three years old in the late 80s. Uh, sport was kind of dying off back then, especially in small town Alabama. Um, track, local track shut down, and I was so young, I didn't 
it was just kind of something I did. I didn't understand the concept of it at the time, I guess. My dad just took me out because he knew I loved to ride BMX. And after the track shut down, I just remembered my whole childhood, continued to ride bikes with neighborhood friends and family members that, that were around. Neighborhood friends and family members that were around and uh, started again when I was 10 years old, actually in this town, Birmingham, Alabama, uh, at the track I'm currently training at now. Oh, right on. Yeah. How did you get to such a high level, like where, where you are now? So I started back racing BMX at 10 years old and I fell in love immediately. Went through the amateur ranks. I won a world title in 2003 in Perth, Australia. That was my first, that was really my first amateur title. It was, uh, I was 16 years old. So it was right before I was wanting to go pro anyways. And it was kind of like, that was like my coming out year, I would say, when I kind of started getting really successful as an amateur. Uh, a few years later after that, 2005 is when I finally signed the papers to uh, turn pro. And that was a pro. I did A-Pro for one year. That's kind of the starter pro okay. class in BMX. And then what they do is when you win a certain amount of money in one calendar year, you're automatically bumped up to the next class, which is today uh, Elite Men. And uh, yeah, so bumped up to that. I went into Elite Men at, I turned Elite in 2006. And it was just a snowball effect. Every year we'd get a little better, fight an injury, get good results, give new goals. And yeah, sorry, I didn't want to run on. I didn't want to drag right, that there, one out too long. No, you're good. Is there a step above elite men or are you, is that it? No, elite men is the highest you go. That's the same as like downhill world or the mountain bike world. It's all elite men is the highest level of, uh, of, of the race category. For BMX. For BMX, I mean, same in mountain bike as, right. as well. Elite men is like uh, anything that's in like the UCI categories, it's elite men, that's the top, top cool. rank. Yeah. So I honestly am not super familiar. So I don't really know a whole lot about the BMX world. What is like, what's, what, how do you train for it? What's a race like? And how do you, how do you even prepare for? So BMX, so BMX racing is considered, uh, we're considered sprint athletes. So everything is uh, high intensity, like explosive movements. So right here behind me, I have my own personal gym where uh, just pretty much hips down. I mean, you're working the full body, but you're, you gotta build these legs for that, uh, that fast sprint. So um, if you look at it, for someone who doesn't know BMX at all, it's kind of like, we all know motocross or supercross, it's like, a like a size down version of um, of a motocross track. We got, we're full sprint, big jumps, big gaps we have to clear. And uh, yeah, just one lap at a time, not multiple laps, normally four straights at a time. And uh, yeah, start to finish, first one there wins. Wow, and, but it's all powered with your legs, unlike All powered motocross. with your, yeah, <laughs> exactly. I mean, we have, there's so many other, so many different bike disciplines. You have the downhill world is pretty much just, hold on for the ride and pin it through the some of the gnarly stuff i don't even want to ride then you got the cross-country guys they're they're out there pedaling in the saddle for hours you know and it's such a different engine from what we from us bmxers who work in probably 30 second increments compared to like mountain bike people that are out there for hours at a time so i mean it's still bike riding right but it's so much i mean every every 
personality and every rider is so much different because it's such a different engine to uh, power whatever discipline you're doing. Have you ever have you dabbled in the other racing worlds, or has it mostly just been BMX? So I've I've always raced BMX that since day one, but I've always had passion for experiencing other uh, other bicycle disciplines and pretty organically comes mountain biking, you know, you step up from the BMX over to the mountain bike world. I've always had a big passion for freestyle. So I raced four cross here and there throughout the years, my, my younger days of BMX. And then around 2012 or so is when I really started putting a little more focus into like the Crankworx series. And I was doing dual slalom, pump track, speed and style events which is like dual slalom with two trick features in the middle which actually fit my personality really well because being a bmx racer always always the guy getting distracted by wanting to ride trails or do tricks and stuff like that so speed and style was such a such an easy move for me because i could go fast i could have that competitiveness of just uh spring to the finish line against someone else but also had my chance to do tricks and and learn that whole side of uh side of riding that i never was never actually put a lot of focus into so. you mentioned that you lived in at the olympic was in the olympic training yep. center where is that and what was that experience like so there's a few olympic training centers around the country uh chula vista california is I believe that's uh, mainly outdoor sports. So I got invited there when I first, back in 2008, when I first started winning elite men races, it was kind of like USA Cycling is, was the first time that, or that was the first time USA Cycling kind of noticed me and I was kind of an up and comer. So I got invited out to the training center to get ready for the 2009 World Cup Series because we had just had our first uh, BMX debut in Olympics in 2008 in Beijing. Um, I didn't, I didn't go for that. I didn't try to make that. I missed out on that whole, um, time frame, mainly because that was the year I kind of really started doing good stateside on, on U.S. based tracks. So 2009 is when I finally stepped into the World Cup scene. And that's why I got, that's when I got invited out to the Olympic Training Center and ended up living there for about a year and unfortunately blew out my knee came back home to Alabama for a few months because my uh, surgeon is pretty is a local surgeon here. And yeah, got on my recovery, got invited back to the training center to do all my recovery back out in California. And yeah, and then I just never, never looked back. And I was in California to stay at that time. So how many years did you, roughly did you spend in California? Were you living? 10 years. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so I moved there in 2009 into the training center. I was there for a year. Um, during that year is when I came home and had surgery and then I moved when I went back there and then eventually my time ran out where um, it was like the end of a season and people aren't living there full time so it was the end of that season and then ended up getting a place about an hour north in uh, Temecula California area and then I was there until 2019 so total of 10 years I was in California and did you end up making it with your recovery and everything back to World Cup status, yeah. did you go to? Yeah, no, I, uh, I didn't make the Olympic. I, I came back from that injury uh, 2010 season. I was back fresh and ready to start that season properly. 
So obviously missed out on the whole 2009 series. I mean, that was the second lap of the first race of the World Cup seasons when I blew my knee out. So I missed that season. Uh, I went in for the 2012 Olympic run, uh, qualified for the U.S. Olympic trial, <clears throat> qualified for the Olympic U.S. trials in 2012, made it to the final four there and winner take all at that race and didn't end up winning. So I didn't go to Olympics. Fast forward another four years, kind of head down and get ready for 2016 Olympics. Same process, made it back to the trials and I finished second in the trials behind Corbin Sherraw, who was the one who went to the Olympics in front of me. So I just missed it by that one spot, but um, which is fine. You know, it was my, my personality has, or my personality of a rider has had a lot of distractions throughout my year, so, or throughout my career. So the guy who won definitely deserved it more than I did. And it was kind of a good step away point, not a retirement, but it was kind of like my point where I was like, okay, BMX needs to get pushed to the side a little bit. And that's when I started focusing on the mountain bike for a little bit more. So what's your, what's the balance now between BMX and mountain bike competition for you? Uh, before, uh, going into 2016, I was trying to balance it a little too much, especially like trying to make Olympics. I didn't really need to be doing the freestyle mountain bike stuff that I was doing, but I knew that's where I wanted to go. And I already kind of started putting my foot in that world a little more, but I had to go through that whole 2016 run. So when I went into it, I fully stepped away from BMX. I was full mountain bikes for a couple years. And, uh, that was 2016. 2019, going through a lot of the crank works, my tricks started getting bigger, and I always had a goal when I was a kid of going to the X Games. And 2019 came around, and I started seeing the contests that were getting these guys in the X Games. I thought, well, it was two jumps, so if I can learn just two good bangers, maybe I can get myself into the X Games, which has been, that was my Olympics. It was like growing up, I always wanted to be in X Games when a lot of these guys I compete against wanted to be in the Olympics. So it took me a while to get older to actually realize that. But yeah, that was my real passion. And um, when I had that goal in 2019, I just, that's where my focus was. Ended up qualifying, or I ended up getting invited to the 2019 X Games for BMX Dirt and actually the Harley uh, flat track racing, which was, a dream come true and it was kind of then like i said then i wasn't really balancing the bmx and mountain bike i was doing all the freestyle stuff on the mountain bike which transferred over to the bmx really well COVID happened everything shut down kind of didn't like just like everybody else i didn't really know what what i was doing everything that my goals were in just we had no idea what the future held or when these events were going to pop back up USA BMX was still carrying on races through COVID and I'm not someone that wants to kind of live behind social media. I want to be out there with the people and I want to be competing and I ended up just pretty much by accident, not by accident, but just for a kind of a, to kill some time going back to BMX. And now here we are, uh, now here we are 2022. Uh, I'm up for the current vet pro title. I'm not racing elite anymore. I stepped back into the vet pro class since I was in mid thirties now. And, uh, 
again, it's such a different engine from the mountain bike world. Uh, I still, if I do mountain bike races and stuff, I still race the elite class, but you can't really do that in the BMX world like you can in mountain bike. You gotta be, uh, I mean, these guys are true athletes. Not taking away from the mountain bike riders at all, it's just, again, a completely different engine. And at 35 years old, I definitely can't sprint quite as good as uh, some 20-year-olds. And Right, the maybe sprinting can... is a little bit less sustainable than the yeah. sort of longer yeah. term endurance. So. I think I could still be at that level. I mean, I'm, I'm still at that level, not the winning level, but I'm still still capable of being in main events for that class. But to be honest, at 35, I don't, <laughs> a 20 year old coming in trying to make his name, make a name for himself and inside me or something in a turn, it's just not as worth it as it used to, you know? Yeah, so where do you see your career for the next, you know, five, ten years? Or is it hard to say? Man, it's hard <laughs> to say. At this point, I'm about to be 36 years old, and I love what I'm doing, but um, it takes a lot. It takes a toll on you, you know, especially being the athlete I've been through my whole career that's always had distractions. It's never been 100% focused on one thing. This year, I've been 100% focused because I had to take this year to prove myself that I can be that that champion or to have that champion mindset, you know? Last year was the first full year back in BMX. We did a little bit in 2020. 2021 was the first full season back. Ended up second overall with kind of the same way, just out there having fun. And this year, I really wanted to win and prove myself that I can stay focused and get through a whole season. And it's a... Uh, it's been quite the personal goal racing this racing this class. I never thought I would even be racing the Vet Pro class, but it's it's been it's had huge growth. We've had the the engagement we have through the BMX world is awesome. Vet Pro has always kind of been the sideshow class to watch, and now we're properly putting the class on the map, and everybody's on the sides wanting to watch us just as much as the elites, which is really cool. And it's motivating to please the fans when they watch us on social media and makes me want to go out there and win even more. So it's been fun kind of uh, just for the first time in my career, just keep my head down and grind out to get to the end of the season and take that championship. And um, yeah, but I'm pretty burnt to be, not burnt, I'm sorry, I'm pretty worn out, to yeah. be honest. Like, I understand Yeah, <laughs> like my social media has not slacked, but uh, I mean, you have to, you, you're either the champion racer or you're the social media guy. And I've always been the social media guy. Now I'm trying to do both and I'm learning one has to give. You know, it's either you're full, if you're full focus in racing, it's hard to dedicate extra time to social media and stuff like that. So it's been out of, I've been doing this for 20, 25 years now. And this, this year has, I've learned the most from it. I've experienced the most from it. And uh, I think it's gonna, it, it's gonna allow me to give back a lot more the way I've approached this year, which is, that's what I use my social media platforms for so much. I wanna, I was the kid that grew up in the South that didn't really have, I didn't really know, didn't have people to talk to or didn't have, didn't know who to, who to ask for for guidance to be this athlete I wanted to be. And now I'm kinda at the point where I was like, I've learned so much in the, my years that I can pass it down and hopefully reach out to some other kid that's in the same boat that 
doesn't have anyone nearby or locally or doesn't even know the questions to ask to be a top athlete because I was that kid. I didn't know for, I mean, even until <laughs> my, in my 30s, you know, I was still, still learning how to, uh, how to ask this stuff and how to, how to accept, um, accept the guidance, I guess you'd say, but yeah. Well, it we kind of like rambled on on that no, one. No, no, it sounds like you've, you're in a really like mature place and where you're at, and you're you know very accepting of like where you've gone, where you're at, and what's mm -hmm. ahead of you, um, which Absolutely. is awesome. You Thank talked you. about social, your social media presence, and part of my mission is well, it's partly to promote or raise awareness for distracted driving, and partly to promote digital wellness and a lot of stress and anxiety comes from our phones these days, especially with the younger population. So I'm curious to hear, you know, from your perspective, with someone with a strong social media presence, and it's been a big part of your work and, you know, promoting yourself. Um, how do you balance that, everything coming from your phone, Instagram, everything else with your family, you know, you have a wife and a child, like how do you, how do you keep those priorities in line? Um, it's been harder lately. I've always looked at social media as a very important part of being an athlete, but even before it was really that important because I always looked at it as there can only be one champion, right? So if I'm not going to be that champion, not saying I couldn't be, but there's always been someone better than me, which is fine. So they're going to be that person. You know, that's the person who who might be harder to who might be harder to have a face-to-face -face con conversation with or whatever the case may be they're the champion they're trying to win well i'm going to be the guy i'm going to direct i'm going to try to reach out and and connect with the other 99% who of kids that aren't going to be a champion one day you know it's is is that, that kind of sounds hard to say, but it's the truth. You know, there's there's a very small percentage of champions in every sport, and I just thought there's another world that I can share my life and just reach out to these people. And it was always just fun. I just love to do it. I love to share what I'm doing. I like to have other people involved. So for the longest time, it was super easy because like, I just post what I feel, you know. And I still do that today. But social media is every year is growing a little more. It's a little more it's a little more important. It's even more personal at, at times. You know, people feel like they uh, they know you so well. Someone you've never seen before, they see you all the time. Um, which that kind of social media is easy, but that part is hard at times. Um, feeling like just to be clear, just feeling like. A lot of strangers to you know yeah you really well. yeah yeah just to being at events and a lot of people feel a lot of people know you a lot way more than you know them which kind of which is fine that's part of it but balancing that has been tough because this last year or so being back in into bmx uh my audience has really grown which i'm very grateful for i share my family side of everything it's not just bmx on my platform it's just my lifestyle and social media is part of my lifestyle and um i'm here to promote my sponsors and and sell products that i believe in not just sell products because they're supporting me i only have partners for someone i only have partners that truly partner with my life lifestyle and what i do 
Um, this year it was Maxis and Fly Racing uh, is my 20th contract this year, wow. 22. Yeah, so that was, I mean, I'm super loyal to the brands I work with. I only work with brands that are, like I said, are that really partner with my lifestyle. I mean, behind me, Xmark Mowers, they got on board. They sponsored me this year because I just, po like, I like to take care of my property. And if I can have a full-time job not leaving my driveway, then, then uh, that's kind of the long-term goal, to be honest. I left my job last August, so just over a year ago, and um, I started riding uh, to riding cross country to raise awareness for distracted driving. So I've been working on this like mission for over a year now. Okay. Um, I finished the ride in September of this year, so like a month and a half ago. Um, and I mentioned I was working with Chris and mm -hmm. another guy named Chris. I don't, do you know Chris Jenkins? He's know. also at Maxis. Oh, okay. um, but anyways, he was who connected me with Chris Meyer. Okay. Who sent you the email. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. But, um, yeah, I was trying to figure out what I was going to do after I was done riding because I don't have a job. Um, yeah. And uh, felt pretty passionate about the mission and wanted to continue it. Um, and so just talking through my timeline and everything, it made sense to drive around and interview people yeah, <laughs> so cool. the goal is to make a, this a video with you know kind of compiling all of these conversations um as a promotion for the mission um, okay. for maxis to share all the athletes that i interview and also for for me i'm hoping to go into public speaking after this about oh, um, cool. like why kind of why i chose to do the bike ride um and yeah. with the overall message of like do what you want to do because it'll work out you know yeah um and cool. Yeah. So that's that's the short of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Shit. Oh yeah. What what made you pick uh, just awareness of, of distracted driving? Did you have something happen or? Fortunately, not to me. But I was working for a summer camp in Massachusetts. That's where I was working before I started riding. Um, and there was a they do like hiking, biking trips. Mm -hmm. um, and there was a student on a cross country bike trip in twenty. 13 who was killed by a distracted driver no. so her friends and family started this nonprofit called text less live more okay. um, and everyone who comes through the camp whether you're a leader or whatever learns about what happened and it's a big part of the culture and risk management and okay. all that for the camp so that's how i learned about it as a trip leader and then later oh, cool. as a yeah. you know working for for that camp yeah. um very cool okay. yeah Cool. So, and you know, since I've done it, I've talked to a bunch of people who've also been affected by distracted driving. So mm -hmm. other families of people who have been killed or people who are, have survived yeah. a crash or something. Um, and that's made me feel a lot like closer to the cause because yeah. I never knew the person who was killed. Um, but yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's a big issue. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a ton it's of issues in the world, yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, it's something that that's you see literally well. every day if yeah. you're driving, you know. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, so. That's cool, yeah. Right. No, I, I think it's awesome. I, I'm just as, I'm bad about it as well. <laughs> but yeah, yeah we'll get, I'm sure we'll get into that. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah so I, when it started raining, I wanted to hear about how you, how, how your partnership with Maxis developed and okay. uh, yeah, what, what that's been like. Okay, let me think, just about my storyline. Because you said it's been 20 years. Yeah, it's been, um, <clears throat> I signed with Maxis when I was, or maybe, 
think that was my first contract. Maybe it was 16. Maybe I was 16. But yeah, uh, I first got partnered up with Maxis when I was 15 years old. And it was right before I won that amateur world championship. So, um, yeah, it's just, I mean, they're pretty much a local here being Atlanta. The office, he uh, the Maxis headquarters is two hours away. So it was, uh, it was just always... I mean, it's Max's tires, you know, it's the, the best tires to put on your bike, you know. So I was already buying them, and I remember it like it was yesterday. I remember I just sent an email to, I wish I could remember her name, too. One of the, she was one of the main ladies over the sponsorship stuff at the time. And, yeah, sent her an email, and luckily she had kind of heard about me already, and they started hooking me up with tires. And then soon after that, I got put on a contract, and... 20 years later, about to be 36, and uh, yeah, just signed. 20, 22 was my 20th contract with Maxis, which has been wow. pretty awesome. So, cool. yeah, thanks, right. thankful for those guys, and they're like local, you know. So it's right. it's like I'm staying staying uh, close to my roots. So have you been to their headquarters and checked mm -hmm. it out? Oh yeah, yeah, oh, cool. I've been to their headquarters in Atlanta, and then where I lived in California, they also had just a warehouse, not a headquarters, but just a warehouse with a. Uh, where they stored everything on the west coast which is cool me being the type of guy i am with the shop i like seeing behind the scenes and stuff so anytime i was able to just go pick up some tires i'm the first one to just jump in the car and drive two hours or drive an hour or whatever to go pick it up because i want to see behind the scenes right. than just shipping it out to right. me so um yeah those guys have been great man they have supported every single year no questions asked they just have always backed me up and continue their support through whether it's bmx mountain bikes Flat, racing flat track Harley Davidsons like they've always been just right there cool we'll do, uh, we'll support it that's awesome yeah so kind of shifting gears and also just aware that it might <laughs> start raining again um, when you think of like when when you think of distracted driving what what comes into your mind what do you think of when I think of distracted driving as bad as it is to say I think about how bad I am uh, about doing it you know and I'm aware that I do it, but it's just so easy. You know, you, you're looking at your maps on your phone or you get a text and it's just so easy just to, I'm not saying it's okay by any means, but I hate that I do it even with my family in the car. It's, uh, it's pretty careless to, to do. I mean, all those, everything can wait on your phone, right? It's all, everything's gonna be there when you get to your destination or back home or whatever, but, um, yeah, I hate to say I'm, I'm just as bad as most people are out there because it's just so accessible. It's so easy right in front of you. And my new Mercedes van I got, uh, it has a slot where I put my phone in actually flat because my other one before I had a spot where it could stand up. So I could actually look at it by the wheel at all times. And now it goes into a little pocket where I can't actually see it. And that's actually been super good for me because as much as I am aware of trying to stay off my phone, Again, you just get it, you get kind of lost in your driving, you're sending a text or checking a post or something that just doesn't even matter. And uh, so now I've gotten way better about tucking it away and not even looking at it until we stop at a gas station or stuff like that. So, but yeah, it's, um, it's a problem that, uh, not, it's a problem in the world. It's not just my own issue, but I see it all the time. I ride Harley Davidson's all the time. I never, obviously never touch my phone when I'm on my motorcycle, but, when I'm on a motorcycle, I'm constantly, every single time I drive out or ride out somewhere, I will drive by someone that's just staring at their phone. And I'm on a motorcycle, you know, and it's, 
it's you're a lot more vulnerable to the, the surroundings, especially when you're you're free. Just a little bump is going to send you off the road, or uh, could be a fatal crash. Anything on a motorcycle when you're driving 70 miles an hour, you know. Right. So, yeah, it's, it's pretty scary out there. And again, like I'm not saying I'm I'm better, the best at it or anything. I'm still pretty bad, but I just try to be aware of it. And it uh, it sucks how bad some people actually are though out there. Yeah, well, I appreciate you sharing that, you know, I think at some point or another, every single one of us has been guilty of using our phones mm -hmm. or being distracted in a way that could be really dangerous. Um, and the, I mean, distraction ranges from adjusting your car's air conditioner to, you know, looking at something really in depth on your phone that's completely taking your attention yeah. off of the road. Um, so it's, it's, there's, there's a lot of like gray area that you could argue like what a distraction is, but I mean, the classic is texting while it's driving. The phone. Yeah. That's right. the first one I think of. Yeah, of course. Um, so I, and I also appreciate that you're, you know, you're actively working on it. Have you, do you use any features on your phone? Like the drive, like do not disturb while driving or anything like that to try to minimize the notifications or, you know, texting you the automatic replies i get from you have actually i didn't even know we could do that <laughs> we just get the automatic text about it so from you from the process of us getting this organized and you coming here has already taught me that that's possible so after afterwards i might actually have you show me <laughs> how you can do that because no I, I had no idea you could do that but granted i always look at it as when i do get a text they can they can just wait you know um but yeah, I think it's something really good to have. I think it's, I took it as, if you don't get a text back is one thing, but your tech, your automated text sending to me, reminding me that, kind of ingrained that in my head that this is, this is really good to have. And this is a feature maybe I should uh, implement into my just daily life. Yeah, I, I started using it just before I started this bike ride because I didn't really know about it either. Mm -hmm. um, and now, I mean, I feel like it's probably annoying because there's certain people that somehow always text me while I'm driving, so they just get this automatic reply. I'm like, yeah. oh, well, sorry, but I'm driving, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, what was I going to say? Um, well, so something that I'm grappling with with having these conversations is how it's culturally acceptable to be distracted while driving, yeah. and it's hard to have conversations, even as me, someone who's spent over a year like, advocating for distraction-free driving, like how do you have a conversation with someone that results in them thinking more seriously about distracted driving without sounding condescending or like a jerk, you know? Like, cause I could be like, well, Barry, anything that you're doing on your phone is nowhere near as important as the life that you could end by, you know, driving distracted yeah. and that's You're right you know and i think some of the people that i've talked to mm -hmm. who have either lost someone or have almost lost their own life from distracted driving that's sort of the approach they take but since i don't have that experience it's a little harder for me to, mm -hmm. to say that yeah. like confidently right um, but it is true though i mean yeah i mean i'm i'm a pretty straight shooter you know and so you i mean you saying that whether you've had that experience or not it's at the end of the day, it's the truth. I mean, is that you can you can go to the store, you can get in your car, drive to the store, and leave your phone at home, 
and everything you're going to do, that's what we used to do years ago, right? right. <laughs> I mean, maybe the younger people nowadays don't notice, but I, I remember going to the store not having a phone, and, right. and uh, we can manage, but we just get so reliant on having that device right in our pocket or right at arm's length at all time, and um, shoot, being living in the country now has been one of the best things for that. Like, I, my distract, my phone distractions are just almost nothing throughout the day. I go and I throw some headphones on, I set my phone over like far away from me and I just listen to my music and just kind of get my work done, you know, because the amount of times I've just wasted hours of the day, whether it's 30 minutes here, 30 minutes there throughout a day, just that my productivity throughout the day has gotten better. And obviously it's not, that's not about distracted driving, but it's just, it goes into your everyday life. My wife and I will sit at the, we'll, the baby will go to sleep at night and we'll find ourselves both looking at our phone instead of spending that quality time with each other on the couch. You know, we're both fine, like, but at the end of the day, having a two-year-old where we learn how fast, how, how fast life is and it just goes by way too fast. So a lot of those days adding up on the couch, it's just, it's uh kind of you're just wasting time you know and uh that's why i look at it so much more than just distracted driving just distracted lifestyle um with having these these devices but my job is my device you know so it's crazy to have to go back and forth and find that balance but it's just um quality time is super important to me so it's been again i'm i'll stare at my phone and waste plenty of time but I feel like just being aware of it. I'm trying to be better every day and just put it down when I'm, when I, when I am aware of what I'm doing is when I put it down and go hang out with my wife or go hang out with my baby girl and, and just, just kind of focus on what's really important in life in the same way of driving a car down the, down the road. I'll go to Walmart four miles away and find myself looking at my phone. Like you can go four miles without your phone and not take a chance of myself or my family that's in the car with me or someone else that's uh, driving around. And the, the chances are, uh, or the, the list of what could happen never ends, right? Right. Well, you said all that really well. And I, yeah, I, well, I'm curious really to hear what you, because you said you, when you moved from L.A., city, more city life, to here, your phone distractions have gone way down. Do you have any idea why that is? Um, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of reason, reasons why, you know, I mean, when I lived in California, I lived a very different life. It's, I mean, I'm a completely different person than when I was three years ago when I was living in California. You're, I was in a completely different relationship. You have the Southern California hustle and bustle around you. You're out in the capital of what we do in sport and there's always something going on. There's always something to be posting about. It's just a very, very busy lifestyle, which is awesome. I loved it, and, and uh, I, I would never take away any of my, my time or my life spent in California and the experiences I've had, but experiencing like coming back to the South, living in a country town, it's the quality of life is just, so much better. I mean, I'll, I'll go a week without even leaving my driveway, just staying right here and just do my uh, do my phone stuff when it's necessary, and just kind of prioritize with that and and 
when I'm not on my phone, I just want to have that quality, just life, you know, I want to be out here training, I want to be the best athlete I can be, I want to be the best husband I can be, be the best dad I can be, and that device is, having that device is, is easily the biggest distraction uh, of all, you know, because it's always right there, and you're getting fed with just kind of nonsense that we don't really hear, you're, you're viewing all this stuff on social platforms that aren't really bettering your, bettering your life in any kind of way, and that's why that's a huge drive for myself if i'm going to put anything out on social media i kind of want someone to benefit from it you know even even if it's just a cool writing clip you know but majority of my post i want someone to be able to take something from it you know i want to show you my raw self whether it's just me cutting the grass or uh, keeping up on jumps you know i always think how can i how can i film this and someone can benefit out of learning anything from it and and again it trickles down all kinds of stuff like what can I just have a conversation about during a training session so a kid doesn't make a mistake that I made in my mid-20s and he can fix it before in his early 20s or before he's 30 in his 30s like me so yeah does that awareness uh, affect the <clears throat> the things that you consume on your phone, like on Instagram, for example, or do you find that you, or TikTok, I don't, I, I don't know if you're on TikTok, but like, do you find that you're consumed by, like, do you find yourself like just looking at stuff and then like coming to be like, why was I looking at this? Or do you feel like you're pretty intentional with what you're looking at on your phone? Uh, every day, I'd say those algorithms feed you something that I mean, that's what it's, it's made for, right? They want to they wanna have those eyes on whatever platform you're looking at, and they can just feed you the stuff that, that you'd like to see. But, yeah, it's just like you said. You have to, like, you kind of, like, wake up to realize what you're doing. Like, wow, I've just spent 15 minutes scrolling by just nonsense stuff, you know? And, um, yeah, it's just the, the distractions go so far outside of just writing you know it's like again it just lifestyle is so important and the life we all live and making the most out of most out of our lives and um yeah i, I, I don't know how to put it in words with because i know i'm just as bad as everyone else you know but it's just being aware of it and i want i want to change it you know and i want other people to, i want to Social media is great. We have we have these devices for, and I don't want to get away from just the distractions, no. you know. But it's such a big distraction of being an athlete, seeing seeing all this other stuff online, or what someone else is doing, or you kind of you get lost. Whether it's a competitor is doing something that you're like, oh, he's doing that better than me, or yeah, having just having those devices. I mean, there's so many good benefits out of like for myself, trying to push stuff back for people, to, for kids to view and our kids and adults, they, they can learn how to do something different, whether it's working on their bike or how they're training. It's just, you get so caught up into what everyone's doing. I still do it. I still see guys I compete against and I cause like, Ooh, I kind of wonder, should I be doing that type thing? And it's like a distraction, you know, that's, that's another distraction or we're training or I'm right here in my gym working out and I get a text and a text turns into scrolling Instagram You're like wow six minutes have gone by between my each set of my squats and I was doing a three-minute rest or 
or whatever the case. It's just the, the, the list of distractions are endless no matter what you're doing. And it all comes down to those damn devices. <laughs> I think the hard thing for me is that work in so many, so many areas of work are tied to social media. Mm. So even if you're someone like you who has the awareness of you know, how unhealthy and time consuming it can be to be on Instagram, you still need it. Yeah, absolutely. In order to yeah. be relevant and yeah. to be able to grow yourself, unless yeah. you work in some industry where you don't need social media, like if you're an accountant, you don't need Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> but you're not an accountant, which yeah. is great. I'm glad that you're not. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, right. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the solution is because they seem like they just keep getting closer and closer tied. They really do. I mean, again, I love it. I love the game of social media. I, I love. I love content, I love filming, I love any chance I have to give back or just post a cool video, even if it's directed to other dudes in their 30s, you know, like just to stay stay young, you know, it's like what you were saying about um, just you have your passion, just go for it, it all, it kind of works out, you know, it's like we're so derailing a little bit, but we're so caught up and getting old and having this lot, having a life or a family and uh that's another thing i like to that's another avenue that i can just push like we don't have to be old you said so like when you stop that's when you lose it you know as long as you just don't stop we can keep trucking along you know so i always look at social media in that way how can i how can i use it for someone to benefit instead of just sitting here wasting my time scrolling with it or posting just garbage like okay i'm gonna I'm gonna put quality. If if I'm gonna dedicate my time to social media, I'm gonna put quality content out there, and it's either something badass or something someone can learn from, you know. And because I mean, we have to have it. It's part. You can't just go win races. I hear guys all the time like, oh, "I just I'm here to win races." Well, you can, but if you if you're 36, still making a living out of uh, riding BMX bikes, you know. So there's something to be said there. It's a, I mean, I love doing it, but it's. And at the end of the day, we're we're here to to sell sell what our sponsors uh, sell, right? So, which I love it. So it's my full time job, and I look at it as as my nine to five, and um, I wouldn't change it in any other way besides being a little more a little more aware and not letting it waste waste the meaningless time and taking time away from my family. I just need to keep it with uh, where it's just a job. It's the scrolling. That's why I don't get on TikTok either. TikTok is yeah, talk about just an endless Ugh. scroll. You yeah, know, fifteen seconds, then next one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. And that app wants you to see wants you to see all the garbage too, not the good stuff. So right. I try to stay away from that one, that app fully. People don't get that one so much yet. But right. <laughs> that's a whole other <laughs> rabbit hole to go down. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I think uh, I think you've got all the key pieces in uh, in order for having a healthy relationship. You know, being able to get be productive with social media and your intentions are good for your audience and you have the awareness where you can step away and focus mm. on every, all of your life outside. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, which I appreciate. Trying to. Yeah, yeah. Trying, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, that's all you can do is just yeah. be aware and try to keep improving. Yeah. Um, so last bit, what, what are you looking forward to in this next year and what's, uh, what's exciting for you? Um, Right now, I'm very kind of tunnel vision. We have the USA BMX Grand Nationals coming up Thanksgiving weekend. Um, so I'm in like a, 
I just started a five-week block training for that that race. That's our championship. Uh, I have a pretty good lead in the points chase. We're sitting number one right now. So right now it's just that. Um, next year we'll go right back into another season, try to uh, hold on to that number one for another another season. But yeah, just keep pushing myself. I turn. We have our championships Thanksgiving weekend. The following week I turn 36. So it'll be. Uh, just trying to stay young, you know, just each year trying to push myself to just literally be the best athlete I can be and uh, keep the young dudes on their toes when I can. You know? <laughs> yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Barry. It was great chatting. Yeah, it was fun to be here. Thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Barry Nobles. Like I said, there's something in it for everyone, and I hope that you found that true. I believe it's true, and if it wasn't true, maybe go ahead and give it another listen because there is something in there for you that will hopefully resonate and make your life just a little bit better. Speaking of making your life a little bit better, let's make your life and the lives of other people, strangers who you will never ever meet, so much better by turning on driving focus. This feature on your phone turns off notifications automatically while you're driving so you don't get your phone lighting up while you're on the road trying to focus on what's most important at that time, which is driving. Less temptation to reach for your phone, to be distracted, means fewer lives lost each day to distracted driving, which are totally avoidable deaths, and you can play a part in that. Please help make our roads safer. Head to eyesupride.com slash resources to learn how you can do this if you don't have it on already. We have one more episode in this series, and we are capping things off with one of my favorite people, Rebecca Rush. She was actually the final interview in the series. I met her in Ketchum, Idaho, just two days before I flew back east for the holiday season. Rebecca Rush is one of the most accomplished athletes and ultra-endurance athletes in the world, and she doesn't talk about it because she is so humble, and she's done some epic adventures. She's always pushing the limits. She's been doing it for so long, and her connection with Maxis is mountain biking, but she does it all. She's had a really impressive and extensive career which she touches on, but do yourself a favor and Google Rebecca Rush after this and enjoy all of her success stories and all of her, all of the good things that she brings to the sporting world because she's not only successful, but she's committed to creating positive change in all things sports and helping young people get there. So that's next time. We have Rebecca Rush coming up to cap things off. Thanks again for listening. We'll look forward to seeing you next time. Make sure you subscribe to Eyes Up Life on your podcast app. Follow Eyes Up Ride on Instagram. Check out the video with Barry that was posted just a couple days ago. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.